All statements and opinions expressed by guests of the Adult in the Room podcast are strictly their own and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or opinions of the host, producers, or advertisers. All interviews are presented in their most complete possible form in the interests of free speech. No statements should be interpreted as financial, legal, or medical advice. Listener and viewer discretion are strongly advised. It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Well, last we spoke to attorney Harvey Silverglade, his client, former dean of the Fowler School of Law and a serious constitutional thinker, John Eastman, had not yet been indicted for the crime of suggesting a legal strategy to get a legitimate vote count on President Trump's behalf in the 2020 election. So Silverglade is a classical liberal slash libertarian who authored the book Three Felonies a Day, How the Feds Target the Innocent. And it was to that end that we had him on the first time we visited on the Adult in the Room podcast. And then we found out he was John Eastman's attorney and we've never let him go. (laughs) His client, I, I laugh, it's a rueful laugh. His client, John Eastman turned himself in this week to the Fulton County DA's office, having been brought up on nine charges that we'll go over in a moment. But before he went in to get fingerprinted and have his mugshot taken for the Democrat PR machine and the Soros-funded 65 Project efforts to disbar him for having the temerity to be a lawyer for Donald Trump, he had this to say. It represents a crossing of the Rubicon for our country, implicating the fundamental First Amendment right to petition the government for redress of grievances. As troubling, it targets attorneys for their zealous advocacy on behalf of their clients, something attorneys are ethically bound to provide, and which was attempted here by formally challenging the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, an opportunity never afforded them or their clients in the Fulton County Superior Court. We welcome back uh, one of John Eastman's attorneys, Harvey Silverglade, who is becoming one of our favorite guests on the Adult in the Room podcast. I wish it were under better circumstances, Harvey. Well, what's your reaction to this week's events in Fulton County, Georgia? Well, uh, the defense team had sent a letter to the um, Department of Justice Special Prosecutor. That was um, on a Friday afternoon. Um, We sent a copy of that with a little cover note on Monday morning to uh, the district attorney of Fulton County. On Monday afternoon, the indictment came down. I now wish we had sent it earlier because obviously she did not consider it before seeking the grand jury indictment. This said, I suspect it wouldn't have made a difference because it's this is somebody who obviously has her mind made up, has had it made up from the beginning, is not interested in listening to reasons why this is an improper indictment, at, at least insofar as Eastman is concerned, because Eastman uh, played the role of a traditional role of a lawyer. Um, the way I like to put it is that if a, um, if a uh, physician is walking down the street and somebody has a heart attack, that physician has a professional obligation to resuscitate the person, even if he recognizes this person and despises this person. 
the lawyer has a similar obligation to represent people who are unpopular for one reason or another and um, give the best advice possible. Eastman did this for his client, Trump, and for giving good faith legal advice, which I think, by the way, was was on the edge of um, the the edge of uh, uh, being um, uh, accurate. That is, he was he was suggesting a possible way for Trump to win the presidency. That was on the edge of legal analysis. It was it was something that was. Um, Creative, I think, uh, but hardly criminal. Um, he has been indicted, and the difference between Eastman and the physician in my hypothetical is that uh, Trump, uh, the, the 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 patient lying on the sidewalk, does not have a constitutional right to to a cardiologist, but Trump had a constitutional right to a lawyer, the Sixth Amendment. So Eastman. They should not have been indicted. Um, he's going to go to trial. I suspect we're going to win. Um, whether we win at the trial level or at appellate level, I can't say. It depends on how the courts are and how the juries are. Um, and the jury is in, in Fulton County. But I'm confident we're going to prevail in this thing. Uh, Eastman was acting in the traditional role of lawyer, and he was doing it for an unpopular client, so he's getting clobbered. Hmm. Is Fulton County the proper venue for this lawsuit? Well, it's not a venue that I think is going to be particularly um, um, uh, friendly. Um, I wish we could, um, you know, the, some of the defendants, or at least what I think Mark Meadow started this move to try to move it to federal court. The thing about federal court is um, not all federal judges are necessarily better than state superior court judges, but you get a jury from a broader cross section of the community because you're not limited uh, to um, the federal district is larger than just the county. So I, I think that's something we might consider doing. We haven't. We're probably going to have a strategy conference this weekend uh, by phone or Zoom. Um, but I expect we're going to try to. I think the removal to federal court is a good idea. It may not work, but in any event, we're prepared to go to trial. Under what circumstances would you appeal to a federal court to take your case? Would it be under the Sixth Amendment? Would it be um, the pro the the fact that he was working for the president of the United States and that uh, gives some sort of immunity to him? Under what circumstances? No, it's it, it's there's a this is should have been a federal case. Yeah, and of course it it has. It is been a, a federal case, case, though, isn't it? Yes, but in the federal case. Um, the Eastman has been named as an unindicted co-conspirator. Ah. Um, and um, my suspicion is that they're going to try Trump, and if they get a conviction, then they're going to indict the others. Um, I don't know why he's an unindicted co-conspirator. Maybe they figured that it would be such a long trial. This is, of course, the problem that, that um, Fannie Lewis, uh, Fannie um, you know, Willis, uh, is uh, is going to cause the courts in Georgia. Um, so um, the federal case will be much easier um, because there's only one defendant. 
Mm. So you'd have them separated. She wants to try everyone together, all 19 defendants. And I don't understand. And not only that, <laughs> she thinks that they can start the trial in, in six, mm. six months. So that then gives the lie to the fact that this really isn't uh, a legitimate excuse to bring an indictment, at least I, judging by what we've talked about previously and with our discussion with Mike Davis of Article 3 Project, it's basically just a ploy to, uh, to drag the Republican, likely Republican nominee for president through the mud and to busy him with court proceedings and mugshots. Well, that's another issue. I don't know if I've mentioned this previously, um, but um, I do think that it was a terrible mistake both federally and state, to indict Trump now. Let's assume that they they have a grounds for indicting Trump. He is the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. They could have waited until after the Republican National Convention. If he got the nomination, they could wait until the election. Some people say, well, there's a statute of limitations. In many cases, prosecutors ask a defendant to waive the statute of limitations so that the indictment can come later. What this is, is candidate suppression. It's an attempt to keep Trump from running. Now, I'm, I'm not a Trump fan. I didn't vote for Trump. I voted libertarian. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a liberal libertarian, as a, a liberal who, um, who does not agree with the progressives. Uh, I'm a liberal who believes in the Bill of Rights. There are some left, you know. And, I'm not um, sure about that. Are you sure about that? Well, there's me. So well, I mean, I'm, of the of the civil rights, uh, the Bill of Rights. Yeah, um, and um, so they could have done that, but I. So it makes it look like a Democratic administration is pursuing both both in Georgia and in the United States is pursuing the leading Republican candidate for president um, and trying to get him off the ballot. That is un-American. It is uncivil. It is patently partisan. Um, they're trying to keep Trump from running against. Biden is a very weak candidate. Um, as you can see from the, um, the, the uh, debate yesterday, there is a um, there is a lively and intense debate going on uh, among candidates for the Republican nomination. There is no debate in the Democratic Party. It's a tragedy. Biden is too old. Wholly aside from whether what, 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 whether somebody agrees with um, his policies, he should he should have just said, you know, I've done my bit. I'm 80. I'm going to leave it to the younger generation of Democrats. I don't think and he's too old. Been... He's just too enfeebled. Well, some people show their age more than others. He, he. I'm 81. I am engaged in the full-time practice of law. Um, and um, I don't jumble my words. Um, I don't trip when I walk. Uh, and and so I have nothing against age, mind you. I'm, I'm practicing uh, well beyond what you know, a lot of people have, lawyers have retired by this time. But I, I tell you, I wouldn't run, even run for president. It's a killer job. Um, I don't think it's 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 a job uh, for a healthy eighty-one year old. 
or an 80-year-old. Uh, also, he suffers from this. It, there are cynics uh, around, I've heard this, who think that he is wants to maintain the presidency because he wants to help his son Hunter Biden out, who's in big trouble, uh, could be in even bigger trouble. And uh, so all around, Biden should not have announced that he was running and we would have uh, a healthy, vibrant debates in both major parties for who was going to be the, the candidate. So this is like the worst situation I've seen since Watergate. It's worse. It's worse than Watergate. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about that before we go into the specific charges in the indictment against your client, uh, which we will do. Let us talk then at this point about the compromise of the Department of Justice in, in that Hunter Biden uh, indictment and the fix that went in for <clears throat> a uh, the, the obvious collaboration between uh, Merrick Garland and the special counsel who was supposedly independent uh, in not wanting to bring any charges whatsoever against a guy who's broken any manner of laws. Not, you know, I, I have my beef with the IRS, but uh, he hasn't, he has not paid taxes on millions of dollars of income and uh, you know, all that. Uh, talk a little bit about the problems with the DOJ. If you're trying to, litigate a case on behalf of a client who belongs to the opposition party. Well, I think that this is a situation that both Garland and the president should have turned over to the Congress and said that the Congress should appoint a special prosecutor in the Hunter Biden matter. Hmm. They can do least, that? You know, well, he certainly, the Congress could decide on who should get it and they should if, if the attorney general has to make the recommendation, the attorney general could say, whatever Congress recommends to me, whoever, whoever is recommended to me, I will appoint. So it could have been done that way. Um, it would have relieved the, the taint of favoritism. Um, you know, fr frankly, um, you know, if I were Biden, what I probably would have done, I'm not saying that this would land him, you know, in the in the uh, in, in the books is one of the the great presidents of the United States, something he isn't in the running for anyway. Um, he could have said, "Look, uh, I've decided for the good of the country, I am not going to run. Um, this is a job for a younger person. I think it should be a, a generation earlier. The, the next president should be from a generation earlier at least. And I am going to pardon my son because I love my son." And you know the old thing about family values. Uh, I'm going to pardon my son. I'm going to step down, and I'm going to leave it to another generation to uh, de Democrats to vie for the White House. That's what I would do in his in his shoes. Well, he's got a big problem with the DOJ. That uh, there has to be post haste, uh, at least investigations, if not impeachments, of Merrick Garland. And certainly on Joe Biden, with respect to what's coming out now about how he's manipulated the system to favor his, his family and uh, the evidence of all the corruption and, and bribes and that sort of thing. It seems to me that's that's the better part of valor. But valor doesn't seem to be a part of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's this, talk this, is a, this is a very bad time for the country all around. Oh, I mean, yeah. Really bad. Yeah. 
This is so much worse than Watergate. You think John Mitchell and acting as AG and and uh, attempting to uh, push people around. You, you think that was bad? I mean, when you've got somebody let, this corrupt. Let me tell you how it's worse than Watergate. Watergate, the population wasn't divided. There weren't people who thought that Nixon acted fine. Now the population is divided. I have received two death threats. Now, they weren't exactly threats. There were people who said that I should drop dead. Those people who were wishing, they weren't saying they're going to do it. Right. But they were wishing that I, you know, and that's, that's a level of the rancor I haven't seen since the Vietnam War when I was representing um, inductees who refused to induction and were, were charged in federal court. Um, I haven't seen that since the Vietnam War. Um, people who threaten lawyers. And, um, and that doesn't count the number of emails of people. I, I have a, I, I'm a, I write columns and articles, and um, I have a list of about 440 people who have indicated that they would like to receive articles and stuff. In case, you know, they, they don't always read the newspapers where I publish. And they, so, like 440, I've had about four people now who have told me they want to drop off the list. I should just strike their names. In other words, people who now disagree with me which has never happened before, don't want to see what I have to say. And and that has not happened to me before. This list has grown, and now suddenly it shrunk by four. Um, th this is different than uh, what I've seen before. Yeah. Well, you've seen your friend, Alan Dershowitz, go through this. He, of course, uh, wrote the foreword to your book, Three Felonies a Day, um, and uh, you guys are uh, great friends from for years. And well, for de decades, we <laughs> met at Harvard Law School in, in, in 1964. He was the youngest tenure track professor in the history of the law school. He arrived that year that I was arrived as a first year student. We were friends from from 1964 until the present, and he too. Um, his suffering this uh, opprobrium because he represented Trump on the impeachment. Trump had a right. You know, there's a, the Constitution. Um, and he wrote this book. Yep. He wrote that book. Get Trump. The Constitution um, uh, guarantees Trump the right to a lawyer, and the lawyer has an ethical obligation to uh, to engage in representation without without questioning the politics of, of the defendant. Um, it's not a legal obligation, but I, th I consider it an ethical obligation. And Dershowitz is getting pilloried. Friends are old fr Well, they're not really friends, are they? Refuse to talk to him at Martha's Vineyard, where he spends his summers. Um, and I've, I said to Alan, don't worry about it. I'll still talk to you, Alan. <laughs> well, I guess he got shut out of his uh, temple. I mean, I heard I heard that happened. I mean, yep. Wh what? <laughs> they reversed. They but they reversed themselves because the oh, wasn't publicity. That nice of them? The publicity was so searing that they reversed themselves. Oh well, that's nice to know that they were beaten into submission. Now, does he even go anymore? I mean, I mean, yeah. The, he he only gives he gives an annual lecture to the library in Chilmark. They canceled him, and now they've reinstated him, so he gave his lecture. What's happening is the publicity is embarrassing them. They, 
they didn't realize that people who are not necessarily Trump supporters um, still believe in free speech and decency and comedy um, and um, supported their issuance. Mm -hmm. I wrote them a letter myself. Good for you. The nature of the the, uh, threats against you, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah. um, Mostly, there were several of them are telephone calls. Um, They didn't leave their names, but uh, you know, on the iPhone, you could see what the number that was called. My research assistant got the call. She hung up. I then dialed back. I called the person back. I didn't answer. I left a message. I said, I see that you called my research assistant. You're not happy with the fact that I represent uh, John Eastman. I'd be happy to discuss it with you. Please call back. Uh, I'll discuss it with you. And of course, I never received the phone call back. These people are cowards. Um, and um, they can't really justify um, what what they've done. Um, but this is the kind of rancor um, that has been um, produced. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I'm, I'm astounded by it, actually. Yeah. Well, guess what? You'll you'll be uh, in a constant state of befuddlement if uh, if you don't uh, yeah. open your eyes and see what's really going on. But you're a man of great experience, and you know exactly what's going on. You're still surprised. Well, you know, I'll do my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a job to do. I have right. to defend an innocent man. I mean, yeah. if he was guilty, I'd defend him anyway. But it makes it even more urgent when when he's innocent. The charges against John Eastman are from Fulton County, Georgia, the violation of the Georgia RICO statute, solicitation of violation of oath by a public officer, conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer, conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree, conspiracy to commit false statements, conspiracy to commit Emma false documents, conspiracy to commit forgery, conspiracy to commit misspelled false statements and write a lot of misspellings in this indictment, by the way, conspiracy to commivet false statements and writings. And uh, so. Can I make a comment? Yes. This could have been done in three pages. Oh, yeah. Instead of a 98. It's a telephone book. And I don't know if she did that (laughs) because she wanted to be able to say, oh, there's hundreds hundreds of pages, hundreds of accounts, blah, blah, blah. Make it sound like he's John Dillinger. Uh, could have been done in a few pages, real simply. There, Rico has never been a, a, a friend uh, of justice. Um, it's an it's a it's a statute enacted by Congress initially, in order to try to get the mafia. The reason Rico is a tool, a useful tool for getting the mafia, which I believe, by the way, was used by Giuliani when he was U.S. Attorney in New York is that you could get the entire mafia family um, in, one, in one indictment um, without, without having to bring separate indictments for every, every murder or every, every, every extortion that committed. But it's totally inappropriate in a political context. So, um, and what it's done is, is, is she wants to try the case starting in six months, She'll be lucky if the case starts in 18 months. Um, it'll more likely start in 24 months. Uh, Eastman is going to seek a severance. 
because his defense should take three weeks and could start the trial in a couple of months from now. Um, it's a very simple defense. He was acting as a lawyer legitimately. We can we can prove it. Um, and um, so we're certainly going to try to get a severance, not because we have a problem with the other defendants, but we have a problem with the you know telephone book, the telephone book that she's turned the indictment into, and we have a problem with being on trial for eighteen to twenty four months. Uh, costing the plan a fortune when we we could do this trial in a, in a, in a week, uh, well not a week, it'll take three weeks, uh, I estimate, and we could start in a, just a few months from now. It's going to be hanging over Eastman's head for the rest of his life. It looks like criminalizing uh, the criminal enterprise of trying to win an election. That's what the DA Fannie Willis says about this criminal enterprise, this conspiracy to commit this criminal enterprise. And her objective is that to criminalize trying to get elected for president, Un unless you're Democrat and like Stacey Abrams, and then it's okay. So please characterize how that fits in here and talk about it if you talk about, if you would, the idea of a conspiracy in this court and how difficult that is to prove. Well, the thing about conspiracy law that's so dangerous is any member of a conspiracy, once they establish that there's an agreement to commit an illegal act, every member of the conspiracy is responsible for what every other member does. And that way, if they can get a conspiracy, all they have to do is show a few allegedly illegal acts by one or two members of the conspiracy. And if you're in this together, then you're tarred with those illegal acts. And that's why conspiracies were used to get them off. Conspiracy, the RICO statutes we use. RICO is a conspiracy statute on steroids. Mm -hmm. The idea of fake electors, they call them fake electors. And I believe that uh, John Eastman was a promulgator of the idea that you could get separate uh, awaiting electors in the event that the, to be ready to go, if Trump won the election instead of those who had already declared for another candidate. And I just ask you the question, let's take a look at a um, video that was put out by Hollywood prior to the 2020 election when they were trying to, they were trying to convince so-called faithless electors, the same kind of people, to change their minds and vote for Hillary Clinton. Republican members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. As you know, our founding fathers built the Electoral College to safeguard the American people from the dangers of a demagogue and to ensure that the presidency only goes to someone who is, to an eminent degree, endowed with the requisite qualifications. An eminent degree. Someone who is highly qualified for the job. The Electoral College was created specifically to prevent an unfit candidate from becoming president. There are 538 members of the Electoral College. You and just 36 other conscientious Republican electors can make a difference by voting your conscience on December 19th and thereby shaping the future of our nation. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. 
As you know, the Constitution gives electors the right to vote for any eligible person. Any eligible person, no matter which party they belong to. But it should certainly be someone you consider especially competent. Especially competent to serve as President of the United States of America. By voting your conscience, you and other brave Republican electors can give the House of Representatives the option to select a qualified candidate for the presidency. I stand with you. I stand with you. I stand with you. I stand with you in support and solidarity with conservatives, independents, and liberals. And all citizens of the United States. The American people trust that your voice speaks for us all. And that you, you will make yourself heard through the constitutional responsibility granted to you by Alexander Hamilton himself. What is evident is that Donald Trump lacks more than the qualifications to be president. He lacks the necessary stability. And clearly the respect for the constitution of our great nation. You have position, the authority, and the opportunity to go down in the books as an American hero who changed the course of history. And you have my respect. You have my respect. You have my respect. For your patriotism and service to the American people. Unite for America. Thank you, Alexander Hamilton, whose visage they wanted to take off his, uh, the uh, what is it, $10 bill, uh, until Hamilton came out. And then, then Alexander Hamilton was great. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. But sometimes these montages of these nutballs, uh, who are probably, you know, some of them may be your friends. I apologize, Harvey. So, um, well, is this the same kind of thing we're talking about? And now well, it's illegal? The the Electoral College, of course, selects the, the president. They do not have to follow the popular vote. They're the ones who make the selection. There's nothing wrong with urging the electors to um, to select somebody who's who, who's not the uh, winner of the majority of votes. You know, there's all kinds of legal issues here. And most people don't understand this. Um, they think that necessarily the person who gets the most popular votes becomes president. That is not the way it works. And um, and even within a state, um, the popular vote can be thwarted by the electors who decide they exercise their own judgment. If we want to change that, it takes a constitutional amendment to change it. So, you know, there are all kinds of strategies. Um, opponents of, uh, of Trump would say they're stratagems, but they're strategies we're trying to, uh, to 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 get the election on Trump's side rather than Biden's side. Is it illegal? Could they could they somehow criminalize what those people in Hollywood did four years ago, five years well, ago? Well, I think it, it would take a constitutional amendment. It would mm-hmm. not, you know, not just a statute. It would take a constitutional amendment. You would. You, there, there are people who want to abolish the electoral college and elect the president. A national popular vote. Um, do I think that's a good idea? I don't. For a lot of the reasons that the founders um, drew it up this way, but um, you know, it, it it could it could be done. But that's not the way it works now. What's the dis- difference between these people asking the electoral college to or the electors to change their? votes and the uh, what what these so-called uh, fake electors uh, that the Democrats have already previously done in previous um, well, uh, campaigns this. done. 
Why is it illegal now? What 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 Eastman was suggesting was strategies, mm-hmm. and it was perfectly lawful to to. This is an unprecedented unprecedented situation. He was giving unprecedented advice for strategies. And there's nothing illegal about that. It has been turned into a, a claim conspiracy. I believe this prosecution is going to fail. I hope so. If this didn't seek to ruin the lives and reputations and bankrupt these people who are now caught up in this indictment, that, would you? could you possibly call it a, a is it a nuisance suit? Well, what it is, the, the this telephone book of an indictment, I think was this could have been done, you know, in in a dozen pages. I think it has been done this way in order to bankrupt the defendants and make it impossible for them to get good defense. I know that Rudy Giuliani is running out of money; has run out of money. He's one of the main defendants, um, and. Um, Eastman's can solve that problem only in one way. If, if he's not wealthy, he's a academic. Eastman can solve the problem by getting a severance. Then he could afford a robust defense. Three weeks, we get an acquittal. He doesn't have appellate courts. It's over. But that's not what Fannie Lewis is trying to do. She, she uses the taxpayer's money, so she's got a, a, a big purse. If she has been working alongside with the uh, special counsel or the DOJ in some form or fashion, Jack Smith, is is there is that a is that okay or is his in, information for her and having collaborating with her to put on certain uh, charges and that sort of thing in the indictment is that appropriate? That's done all the time. Um, for example, uh, take drug prosecutions. Um, by the way, I'm a, as a libertarian, I think all the drug laws should be abolished. We, right now, it's a great source for corruption, um, and um, it, 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 drug addiction should be treated medically. But that's that's my libertarian side. Um, but uh, it's frequent that the Drug Enforcement Administration, the federal Drug Enforcement Administration, works with state narcotics agents and local police um, and, and joint investigations. And then they decide whether to prosecute in the state or federal court. That usually depends on the quantity involved. Large quantities are done federally, small quantities are done in the state court. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is the underlying, the underlying. Th- the theories of criminality, they've got it all wrong. And they're, they're, this is like a freight train out of control. The brakes are not working. Nobody is thinking, sit down and take a look at this. Nobody is soliciting a, a points of view that are different. They could go to various law schools and they could discuss it with criminal law professors. Um, it looks like they have it, they're, they're listening to themselves. Yeah. Cheerleading. How appropriate is it for Fannie Willis to fundraise on her prosecution of Trump? Um, well, that's um, distasteful, but uh, not illegal. Okay. The other really... It's, it's, oh, I go consider ahead. it unprofessional, by the way. Yes. But not illegal. Right. Do you, do you believe that 
lawyers should be able to advertise as well? Um, I have mixed feelings about that. My my, As an absolutist on the First Amendment, I do believe they should be able to advertise. But I find some of the advertisements to be somewhat distasteful. I find them to be exaggerated. Um, so um, I think they should be lawful. I was opposed to the era when lawyers were prohibited from advertising. Um, I think some advertisements can be useful if they honestly portray the lawyer's record, for example. Um, you know, I've handled this kind of case and this kind of case. I have experience, blah, blah, blah. It, it provides information to the public. But some of them are really off the wall and bizarre and I think unprofessional, but not illegal. Uh, it all does, uh, it sets the tone in this case with uh, Fannie Willis using it as a re-election tool. It does set the tone and taint a jury pool, a potential jury pool. Speaking of which, we have the former head of the special grand jury uh, that looked at the information here, Emily Coors, talking with the media. Remember this, and I'd like to, after we hear this, what you think of the the foreperson of the grand jury at that time. I Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. Mm. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in, I just... I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. I can't. Well, I I might be able to, according to instructions, but I don't want to. Why do you want to speak out publicly? Because this was a really cool experience. Senator Lindsey Graham, what was his demeanor like when he came? Fantastic. He seemed like I really liked him. I really liked talking to him. Why was that person offered immunity? Uh, Sorry, I'm making sure that I don't break any of my rules. How many people was this a long list? It's not a short list. So we're talking about more than a dozen people? I would say that, yes. It's not a short list. Not a short list. (laughs) More. Did the grand jury recommend an indictment of former President Trump? I'm not going to speak on exact indictments. Would you characterize it as 20-ish people? I can't say I counted. (laughs) Okay. More than a dozen, though, I think I'd heard you say in another interview. I believe so. I don't think that there are any, like, giant... That's not the way I expected this to go at all. And I'll say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't... There are no major plot twists waiting for you. That just raises more questions of course. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, Probably not. After everything that you've seen, what would your reaction be if the DA decides against bringing any charges after what you've seen? I will be sad if nothing happens. This was too much, too much information, too much of my time, too much of everyone's time. There was just too much for this to just be, oh, okay, we're good, bye. And that includes of the former president, potentially. Potentially, it might. Okay. You're looking at a 30-year-old grand jury foreperson who's never done a television interview before. 
Yeah, no kidding. And obviously never been on a grand jury before or else she would have shut up her pie hole. But how helpful is that video? I have to ask because, I mean, if you've got people like that on the grand jury, when the final list came down, her name was not among the grand jurors in the indictment because the DA outed her own grand jury and doxed her own people uh, to some extent. And um, Emily Coors, does that help or hurt your case? Well, here's the understand what a grand jury is. It's um depending on the state and federal, it's a number of people, um, like twenty three is an average, from the community who are randomly drawn to be on the grand jury. Technically, the grand jury votes by majority vote whether or not to bring an indictment. And when I say majority vote, that's important because. In order to convict at the trial, you have to have a unanimous jury. But this is by majority vote. And the, the, the prosecutor really controls the grand jury. It's not in theory how it's supposed to work. It was originally supposed to be a group of people from the community who knew the whole situation, who had a stake in it. Um, but now the grand, the grand jury almost never um, doesn't bring an indictment if the DA wants it. And that's called the one that does happen. There's a word for it. It's called a runaway grand jury. That means they acted independently. Now, um, you know, the, we lawyers have a saying, the, a, a prosecutor can get a jury to indict a ham sandwich. And it's true. Um, so um, it's sort of a relic of the past from old England. Um, and it doesn't mean the thing. It means that the prosecutor decided that to bring the in, indictment. I and it's the, the prosecutor decides who the witnesses are going to be in the grand jury. I had one case in which it was a drug case. General Gordon was federally federal court, and I knew that there was very clear evidence my client was was not involved in the criminal activity. And I asked the judge, I, I asked the prosecutor to let me or my client, either one, testify in front of the grand jury. This is almost unheard of. The prosecutor, prosecutor turned me down, and um, I asked the judge, and the judge doesn't control the grand jury, but the judge did put pressure on the prosecutor. The prosecutor changed his mind. I appeared before the grand jury and presented the evidence of my client's innocence. My client was not indicted. Now that only, that's only happened to me once, um, but it shows that a grand jury gets a very one-sided view of a case, and it gets it from only one side from the prosecutor. That's right. No defense attorneys allowed. No exculpatory exculpatory evidence really allowed. They they can choose whether or not they want to bring it. But, I mean, that's why I think the California system of pretrial hearings or, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, they basically do a little mini uh, trial before announcing charges to determine whether or not there will be charges. I mean, they charge, but they, whether or not they'll continue with uh, the prosecution. 
I mean, I, I think that's a good idea. I, waste, I mean, I shouldn't say waste. I think upholding people's rights, civil rights, is always a worthy goal, and it may cost more money, but uh, they should be doing it. Um, finally, uh, on things that I wanted to um, ask you about, well, actually two things. There's been a bar warning or a warning placed on Eastman's uh, profile in the California bar. It's a consumer alert. This attorney's been charged with a felony. Well, it's, of course, meant to destroy the ability of a charged lawyer to fund his own defense. That's what's going on here. I think the bar proceeding is about the most outrageous of all, because he he hasn't been convicted of a crime. How could he be disciplined? This is now a bar association, mind you. How could he be disciplined when he's presumptively innocent? The other thing that this that this barring him now would do, it would make it impossible for him to earn a living and pay for his own defense. So it's wholly inappropriate for the bar to be proceeding at this point. Is there a lawsuit that could be filed against the 65 Project for doing this to Trump lawyers? That's a conspiracy to commit some sort of uh, ongoing criminal enterprise, isn't it? No, it's an interesting theory. And, you know, if you can indict a ham sandwich, you can you can try um, the creative uh, approaches. Yeah. Okay, Jim Jordan, the head of the Judiciary Committee of the House, uh, is now investigating Fannie Willis and asking for all papers, evidence, uh, emails, etc., between her and the and Jack Smith, the special counsel. Um, would that help? That that's only an upside, right? Could you possibly get a hold of some of that only material? No upside, no downside. And um, for people who think this is you know, somehow inappropriate, um, the sunlight, one Supreme Court justice has said, is the best disinfectant. There's nothing wrong with um, finding out what's really going on, what really happened. I'm in favor of it. Um. All right. Anything else? What's next? Well, what's next is I hope that we file a motion for severance, that it's granted, that Eastman gets a trial right away, that it takes three weeks, and he's acquitted. If he gets the severance, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. To whom do you appeal for a severance or ask for a severance? We would, there, there isn't an appeal as of right, um, but in many jurisdictions, you can, you can file a special a petition for a writ of mandamus from a, a, a higher court and have the court order a judge to do something, a trial judge to do something. We will try everything we can in order to get justice at a price that Eastman can afford. And the only way to do that is a severance and, um, and a, a speedy trial. What if we can't afford you? Well, then we have to decide whether we're going to do it for free. We might. This is a case of principle, remember. Um, it's not like a bank robbery. It's not like a rape. It's, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's a political prosecution of an innocent man. Uh, I've handled many cases for free in my career when I thought that the defendant was uh, innocent and was being deprived of a fair trial. Um, so, but that lawyers would have to talk about that. We're, there's a team, remember. There's three lawyers involved, and um, we'll, we'll, we will um, figure that out.
cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, there's there's a theory going around uh, that, you know, we're speaking on the day that President Trump turns himself in to the Fulton County officials uh, for his uh, the temerity to seek out a, uh, a win uh, in a presidential election. And one was mentioning, well, he should just uh, deny he should just not pay the bail and make them force them to jail him to make an abject lesson that this is a political prosecution. And there would be all sorts of ramification for that. In other words, uh, they, you know, the they ha- the Secret Service has to be able to protect him, and it might result in <laughs> the rest of the jail being cleared out. <laughs> I mean, is the that way crazy they or would what? do that? I've had experience in this, and what what they do is they have house arrest with a couple of guards living in the house. Oh, so okay. There are, way, there are ways of doing that, um, because it, it makes it more complicated when he has a, a Secret Service guard. But it, it could be it could be done, but it can't be done in, in a in a local jail. Harvey Silverglade, what? Uh, how are you spending the rest of your day? I'll what bet. rest of the day? This is uh, I I currently have uh, three cases. This is by far the most time-consuming. I I have stopped taking new ones, for now, and I have I do hope to be out from under this sooner rather than later. But that depends on the severance. I sure hope you get it. So do I, and so does my client. I'll bet he does. Well, God bless John Eastman. Thank you for helping him, and thanks once again, Harvey Silverglate, for coming back on the Adult in the Room podcast. I know. Thank you for intelligent and fair questions. Not every interview is intelligent and fair, I'll tell you that. We try. We try. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.